Welcome, you guys. I'm so glad you're here. I hope uh, hearing a little bit of uh, Marlo Getz's uh, testimony, her story, uh, is a blessing to you guys. Um, I was talking with somebody about my sermon, and I was uh, this week, and I was like, "Man, what do you think would be good for Mother's Day? You know, something that would speak to people." And the answer I got was something short, because because uh, people are wanting to go eat. So uh, I'm going to try to make good on that, and uh, I want to jump right in. But let me just say uh, one word of prayer, and we'll do that. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for moms. Thank you for mother figures. Uh, Lord, thank you for the blessings that many of them have been in our life. Lord, if people have experienced uh, an absentee mom or a mom who, uh, where there was a lot of tension, uh, I just, I just ask that, that they would be, uh, become a, a figure, especially the gals in here, Lord, that they would become a, a figure for someone else, a mentor and a mom for somebody else, whether that's spiritual, emotional, or physical, Lord. And I, I ask that in your name. Then I pray for those, those ones who are in here who, uh, because maybe physical, um, issues that have come up or emotional haven't been able to be moms and they, and that's the desire of the heart. I pray that you would give them the desire of their heart, that you'd do a miracle, uh, that you'd, you'd bring the, 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 the pieces together in their life. And that you'd be the great healer, and you'd be the the great one to bring those things into being, and uh, and Lord, if not, I pray that you, that you would give them the capacity to be amazing spiritual moms to people. And we pray this in Jesus' name, Amen. All right, there's a few things I wanted to make sure you know. How many of you guys got kids? If you guys got kids, okay. Uh, so for the the men in here, because it's Mom's Day, we didn't want the men to feel bad. We have this like sugar scrub that we made. For, no, I'm just kidding. This is for moms. Uh, sugar scrub. The kids are making you this. Make sure you grab it and they don't forget it. Um, so uh, I want to jump right in. And um, I was in the kitchen with my daughter, trying to be a helpful parent. And my daughter was hungry and I was hungry, so we were trying to get some food that would be uh, healthy, quick, easy, not make a mess. So my daughter got some yogurt and I grabbed a banana. And as I grabbed the banana, I you know, ripped it off the, the bundle and I started peeling it open, but it didn't like peel right. Like only half of it kind of peeled down. And I went to the other side, I was like, oh, maybe I made a mistake. And I tried peeling the other half and it just kind of like crumbled off and like half the peel was still left on so I was like as my wife walked into the kitchen I was digging with my thumbs into this banana trying to she's like that's not how you do it and I was like I know I'm just trying to and she's like wait a second she looked at it, she's like Are, can you not tell that that is green and I, I, and I was like how dare you make fun of my colorblindness and uh, I could not see that it was not yellow enough I was trying to peel this thing and so it reminded me to put my sun you know my sunglasses on I have these cool sunglasses a family member got for me that are like four colorblind people and I can see color uh, at least more color than I normally do and uh, so I've been driving around with my sunglasses the last uh, few days and it is beautiful have you guys noticed the rhododendrons <laughs> I put those things on, it's like pink! Before everything's kind of this faded color, and I put these things, and it's just the contrast, they're like neon pink, and moss is like, I mean, moss probably isn't that cool to you, but I, like, it is seriously green, like really green. And I'm seeing all these colors, the rhododendrons, purple and pink and red and white, it's just gorgeous out. Have you guys noticed how beautiful it is in the Northwest? I was at some friends, uh, yesterday and we were enjoying the beauty and they, they've got a, they've just bought a house, uh, 
that has an old, old garden in it. The person who owned it before them had a huge old garden, really big backyard. And they are, they're gardeners. I mean, the house that they moved from, they, had, they built the boxes and they had all this bounty of, you know, this farmer's bounty just like bursting out of these boxes of, you know, earth in the front of their yard. And they, they're real gardeners. And so they've, they are now at this new house and they are rolling up their sleeves and planting some seeds. I mean, they are getting after it. They're trying to just totally renew this old garden and bring it to a new place. And I was talking with them. I asked them, why would you do that? Because you could just go buy food. Why, why do you like to work so hard? And they said, well, we like to, uh, we like to see the work of our hands. I mean, that's, uh, that's, that, we just like to see the fruit, literal fruit of, our, of their labor, labor. And they do like corn and they have, I think, char and some of those more disgusting types of plants. Uh, they have some really, you know, just some other amazing foods that they grow. Uh, and they even have, I think, a fruit tree or two in the backyard now too. And it's just this beautiful, a potential beautiful garden, but it's been overgrown and it's kind of sick. And, and I, one of the other questions I asked them is like, well, you know, how, uh, that looks really tough. Like, how do you do that? And they're like, the toughest part about this is that it's really hard work. You're tilling soil. It's constant work. And um, and there's all sorts of problems. You know, there can be worms that are out there. There can be bugs. There can be, like, problems with not enough sunlight. There's all these issues that can happen. And so what they're trying to do is distinguish which plants can be renewed, which plants can actually be brought back to life, which plants are just weeds or ones that they don't want, and then where should they plant the new stuff? So they're, like, working really hard, and they're like, that's the hard work. And I said, so again, why do you do this? Uh, and and the, here are a few of the good reasons that they gave me. They said it's they love to see... Uh, uh, great flowers, fruit, and vegetables flourish. They're like when you're when you're in the backyard and you're working on it. There's just something you feel so connected to, like the earth. Like sometimes we live lives that are so busy that we're like disconnected from the earth. Like this, I feel so connected, and there's an energy back there, and it's beautiful. It smells good, and, uh, and then like the food's amazing. And Corey, he said um, one of the things he likes to do is eat the food. And I was like, that really makes sense to me. Okay, now it's. <laughs> And then he, and then he said, but even more than that, I lo- it's so fun to like have like all this food and you can't, it's so much you can't even eat it. And you can give it away to friends and neighbors and family members and like this whole bounty goes out. How many of you guys do that? How many of you guys are like gardeners and you love that? Okay, there's some people, there's some people that are like this, a few that are big into it. How many love having friends who are gardeners that bring you? <laughs> Good. So if you don't have a friend, make sure you look at those ones who raised their hands earlier. You guys, what I want to talk to you guys about today is the reality that God is a gardener. He's the great gardener. He is the creator of the heavens and earth. He is this creative source of energy. And in the book of Genesis, it teaches us that in the beginning, God did what? Created. He created the heavens and the earth. And he created uh, animals and plants. And he created everything that we know. God is this creative force and, and in the, in the poem, the, the original, uh, Genesis poem, it, it talks about how God on the first day started, started creating and building this world. And then the second day kept working. And the third day, fourth day, fifth day, sixth day, just working hard, creating all of this and this reality that we live in with time and space and matter and all, and, and, and emotion and love and, and the potential for more life, all this amazing stuff. And then on day seven, what does it say he did? He rested. He rested. And, and it doesn't mean that God was tired. <laughs> it 
and that he enjoyed the work of his hands. Like my friends would enjoy, he's the gardener who made this incredible, perfect garden. But here's, there's this piece to reality where the garden, where the creation got sick and was broken and actually it became so overgrown with sin and sickness that it turned from God. And in in the, in the beginning of John chapter one, it, it talks about this. It talks about this creation story. And I want to give you guys a little bit more information here and then we're going to jump into some really, I hope, practical and real things. But here we go. In John 1, it says this, in the beginning was the Word. It's talking about Jesus as the Word of God, the Logos. And the Word was with God. Jesus was with God. And the Word was God. Jesus was God. And He was with God in the beginning. All things were created through Him. All things were created through Jesus. God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit. This Trinitarian God was creating the, 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 the forces and the realities that we now know. And then it says later in John verse, in verse 10, it says this, that when the creation turned and it grew sick and it had sin and brokenness, um, that in verse 10 it says, He was in the world and, and though the world was made through Him, the world did not recognize him. What that's meaning and saying is that the world that was created by the creator got so sick and so blind and so broken that it couldn't even recognize the creator when he was sent into the world. It, it was so sick and broken that it couldn't recognize the gardener that it actually created the garden. Uh, in, the, in the beginning in Genesis, God creates the garden of Eden, this place of perfection. And it gets ruined and they don't even recognize the uh, the creator anymore. Now, um, if I were to jump to the end of the book of John, and what we'll really see if you re- were to read through the whole book of John is that it's the story of how the creator gardener is re-gardening or renewing the old garden and making something new. Okay? And at the end of the book, there's this really interesting passage where Mag- Mary Magdalene is... She, she's... Um, looking for Jesus and she goes to where he was he was uh put in a tomb he's dead he's been crucified and in her mind uh, she she's grieving and she's weeping because of the loss of Jesus and she's going to kind of like pay respects to his body and and they had uh, certain rituals that they would do um and so she goes there and she can't find the body she sees two angels and they say to her in verse 13 woman why are you crying and she says because they've taken away my lord she can't find his body it's missing And she assumes it's been stolen. And I don't know where they've put him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there. So Jesus is standing right in front of her, the risen Lord. And again, Christians believe that Jesus is raised from the dead. And if Jesus hasn't been raised from the dead, then Christians like don't have a whole lot to stand on. Jesus doesn't come back from the dead. We don't have anything to celebrate. And she sees Jesus back from the dead, conquered the, the, the power of sin, Satan, and death. And it says this, but she did not know who it was. She didn't know it was Jesus. Remember verse 10, what did that say? The creation, the garden that was created by the gardener and the creator did not recognize its creator. She didn't recognize it was Jesus. And then it goes on to say this really, really cool thing. Um, she uh, she does not recognize this Jesus. Woman, he says to her, why are you crying? Who is it that you're seeking? Supposing he was the gardener, she replied. Supposing he was the gardener. That's John going wink, wink, nudge, nudge. The gardener from the beginning is back. And he's starting a new creation. A new world. 
with new possibilities where sin and sickness and death and separation and broken relationships and all that's toxic and wrong in our world is being set right. And Jesus' resurrection is the announcement of the new project that like my friends who are trying to restore this old, dilapidated, sick garden and make it something new, God started that project in the resurrection of Jesus. And if you don't see it, you miss it in the Bible. But that's what this is saying. Now, check this out. She says, uh, sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you've put him and I will take him away. She still doesn't recognize. And Jesus said to her, Mary says her name. And turning around again, she said to him in Aramaic, Rabbanai or, or, or teacher, Rabbi. She recognizes him. And what I want to talk to you guys is about how God plants the seeds of the new garden. Because that, that has a lot to say about who we are as a Jesus community. If we serve a gardener God, that means that we become co-gardeners with him. Well, what does that look like? What does that mean? Well, in, in John 12, it says, Jesus said this, Truly I tell you, unless a grain of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains by itself. But if it dies, it produces much fruit. Like if you, if you, if you don't plant a seed, there's nothing going to grow. And if a seed doesn't die in the ground, then nothing, uh, nothing comes back to life. And Jesus has just died. He was just in the ground and he's come back to life. And, and now there's this reality that he is going to be the gardener teaching co-gardeners how to spread seeds of life and love and radical change. So you guys want to know what these, these changes are, what this looks like? So here's, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to talk to you guys about, I'm going to give you three images of the types of seeds that, that God wants us to plant, that God sent his son to plant to create something new and better. And then here's the other thing. It's Mother's Day, right? We live in a world where a lot of people look at faith, they look at Christian faith, and they look and, uh, and think, man, that faith looks like uh, it's designed to dismiss women and not to lift them up. And what I want to do is I'm going to actually take some particular stories that show that actually women were a central part of the new creation project that Jesus is working on, okay? And just how important uh, females are to the, to the growth of God's kingdom, okay? So here we go. You guys ready? You can get your notes out. Um, and here we go. On the third day, a wedding took place in Cana in Galilee. Now, this is in chapter two. I'll give you a little bit of background. A Galilean wedding is, they were like these like week long or longer affairs. They were like an Eatonville marriage rager. Um, they, Galilee was kind of up in the north. There were some wild bunch of, and woolly group of people and, and they were known for throwing these ragers, right? And so there's this wedding in Cana, Galilee. It's a, it's a raucous affair. And Jesus' mother, Mary, was there. And Jesus and his disciples were invited to the wedding as well. So they're all there at this big wedding celebration. When the wine ran out, Jesus' mother told them they don't have any wine. You know, it's not a big deal to some of you. Some of you guys like that is a very big deal. <laughs> I am kind of upset. I didn't realize that the Bible got so dark. Um, <laughs> and... Um, you know, in this culture, it's, it's a shame honor culture. So a father is, uh, if they had a daughter, was every year traditionally supposed to put away a barrel of wine that would be aging for years until the, the, the year of her marriage, her wedding. And a good father would put away enough wine so they would have a whole party and they never run out of it. But this father did not put enough away, which brought shame on him. 
So Mary coming up to Jesus saying, hey, they ran on wine. There's a concern, not just that the fun's going to stop. There's a concern that this brings dishonor and shame. And it might have been a, a family friend. And Mary's like, I don't want shame to be brought to them. So Jesus, you need to do something. And Jesus' response is, is so funny and classic. It's like uh, with a, kind of a mom relationship. He goes, what does this have to do with you and me, woman? It's all talking tough in front of his disciples. Uh, my hour has not yet come. Like, I, this isn't the official start as you're making wine. Are you kidding? Like, think about what people will think about me over the centuries if I made wine, if this was like my first miracle. Like, just imagine the judgment, you know? And uh, Mary just uh, looks away from him and she looks at the servant. She's like, do whatever he tells you. You know, she just ignores her son. She's like, this is going to happen. This will just be a side miracle, not as big as the other stuff. And... Uh, <laughs> That's so funny. I love this. Happy Mother's Day. And uh, <laughs> and uh, the first thing I want to tell you that's so important about this is the gardener, Jesus, the gardener plants seeds of unity and joy in the soil of separation and shame. You might want to write that down. Seeds of unity and joy. And, and here's the reality. So Jesus, when he does this miracle, he actually looks at these barrels of water that were, that were, uh, ritual religious purification barrels. So that was the barrels that, that religious Pharisees and people would use to clean their hands. And it was, it was a symbol of separation. Like we're holy, we're righteous, and the people who are less than, the people who, you know, are at like these kind of ragers and Galileans and, and people who would, who would run out of wine on their daughter's wedding day, uh, we're, we're separate from them. We're better than them. There was like the, this, this judgment and condemnation associated. And Jesus takes the symbol of religious separation, these barrels of water, and what does he do with it? He turns it into wine, the symbol of unity and joy and togetherness. Isn't that unbelievable? And these are seeds that Jesus is throwing out. And, and, and again, this is shame on her father. This is, this is probably a, a moment of embarrassment. And Jesus creates such good wine that one of the leaders says, how, how did you save the best wine for last? Because normally, they'll, they'll give the best wine first. And as people get a little bit more into the razor, the less they'll notice how bad the wine is. And yet you've saved the best for last. And Jesus brings the best wine and he brings joy and like richness to the party. We as Christians, if we're co-gardeners with God, we're to learn how to plant the same kinds of seeds. Now some of you are like, well, Jesus was totally a home brewer. Wow, like this is amazing. Um, It doesn't have to, the wine is, I think in many ways, it's more important what it symbolizes than what it is. Because it removed shame and it replaced it with joy. It removed separation and replaced it with unity. Let's move to the next image I want to talk with you about. The second one here um, is the story. The scribes and Pharisees brought a woman caught in adultery. Making her stand in the center, the teacher said to them, this woman was caught in, a, in the act of committing adultery. Like we caught her in the act with somebody. And in the law of Moses, it commands us to stone such a woman. So what, Jesus, do you say we should do? Why are they coming up to Jesus with this question? Don't they already know this? Then they, they ask this question, it says, to trap him in order that they might have evidence to accuse him. The one without sin, Jesus replies to them, should be the one to th- throw the first stone at her. Then he stooped down and again and began uh, writing in the ground. When they heard this, they left one by one, starting with the older men. And I think it's really interesting here. One, 
These men are hell-bent on bringing violence against Jesus. We live in a violent world. Have you noticed that? There are people have violent tendencies or power trip control tendencies. And Jesus enters this world and this realm. And they, do they care about this woman caught in adultery? No. They're try, they just see her as collateral. They're just trying to trap Jesus. And here's how ridiculous this is. Jesus sees what they're doing. He sees the trap. And he doesn't fall for it. He just says, okay, you know what? Um, the first of you who you know hasn't sinned and broken any of the, the, the commandments, you throw the first stone. You see these guys, and they know the Ten Commandments. And it's interesting. It says that he stooped and he was drawing in the dirt with his finger. And if you know the Scriptures, there's an Old Testament passage that talks about the hand of God stooping and writing the Ten Commandments on stone, like on the ground. And it brings us back to that moment. Maybe Jesus was writing out the Ten Commandments, just reminding them not only of adultery that they're lifting up in front of everybody else and saying, look at this woman and and bringing shame to her and, and actually willing to take her life like that. Um, he's, he's reminding them, oh yeah, any of you who have, who have never broken the Ten Commandments, because you're all good guys, you throw the first stone. You know, like don't lie, don't steal, don't covet, don't, uh, don't murder. <laughs> and they're trying to use a system to murder this woman and Jesus. Wow. And Jesus calls them. And it's so interesting. They don't, where's the man in this adulterous affair? Wasn't she caught in the act? Where's the male? Where's the where's the dude? I mean, last time I checked, it wasn't like you know so, you know some guys like oh uh, this this she's not my wife you know like they're surprised. <laughs> and Jesus calls them out, and they drop their stones and walk away. The oldest first, and I love this. I love what he says when it's just the woman in him. He says, "Has no one condemned you?" And she says, no one, Lord. Neither do I condemn you, said Jesus. Go from now on and do not sin anymore. I love that he doesn't condemn. John chapter uh, John 3.17 says that Jesus came to save, not to condemn. And so Jesus says, neither do I condemn you. But he also doesn't condone sin. He says, be free of the life you've been living. Be free. You can change. You don't have to live in that system anymore of violence and condemnation and judgment. Like, be free. And that, that's the second way. that You might want to take this down. The gardener plants seeds of protection and mercy in the soil of violence and condemnation. We live in a world that wants to condemn, a world that wants to use power and force and even violence to get what it wants. And Jesus, who had all the power in the world and could have used any force he wanted to shut some Pharisees up, uses like grace and mercy. And he protects this woman and has mercy on her. He has mercy on her. And it would be remiss of me to, to mention this, that I think many women in past cultures and, and even in our culture have experienced a lack of protection, a lack of access to the things that they might need for their families. There's been many women who've had to take care of themselves and, and had to deal with and live under double standards where like if, if there's any kind of lifestyle that's that, that that's promiscuous at all, that, that then all of a sudden they're judged and condemned. But if men are living the same kind of lifestyle, they get lifted up and and treated, you know, like uh, 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 encouraged for their exploits. 
And we live in this like double standard, unfair culture where, where, where people in power and people who have had the, um, the control and power in society have, have pushed many times women down. And, um, it would be remiss of me not to say that's in the stories of Jesus when he's dealing with women, like the woman at the well who, who runs back to her village after she's been, She's been rejected by man after man after man and, and she meets Jesus. She runs back to the people who have rejected her and she shares the good news about Jesus. And just like so many of the, the women and mothers or future mothers or mom figures that are, that are in our world have had this strength of love and this strength of forgiveness and this um, unbelievable ability. Many moms have raised kids and they've been abandoned by their husbands and they haven't had the help and the access to help that they needed. And yet they've raised their kids and they've poured into them at so much of a disadvantage. And I, guys, I just, I want to acknowledge that, that Jesus came to set our world free from that stuff. But he also acknowledges and he empowered women to be able to lead. I think that's amazing, and it's central to his mission. Do you see it? All right, let me move to the last image. If we jump back into the garden, Mary noticing that Jesus is um, there now, and he's the gardener. Jesus says this to her. Don't cling to me. Don't hold on to me since I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and tell them I am ascending to my Father and your Father and to my God and to your God. Mary, don't hold on to me. You've got work. There's work that needs to be done. There, I need you to go garden and continue um, planting some seeds in this broken world. I need you to carry on what, what I've started. I need you to continue it. Now the first part of your mission is go tell the men. Verse 18, Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and she told them what she had, what, what he had said to her. She was tasked with sharing the good news, the gospel, that Jesus wasn't dead anymore. He was risen. The power of God was at work. This new garden was being launched. The new creation was happening. The old, the sick, the dying, the broken was being abolished. And this newness was coming in. Life had come and returned. Hope had returned. And her job was to go deliver it to them. And here's the third point, or the third way that Jesus plants seeds. Um, is this the third way is the gardener plants seeds of social reversal in the soil of social injustice what do i mean by that in this culture in this day and age women's testimony in court was rarely even considered um, they would take male slaves um, a testimony in court above women Many times they wouldn't accept it at all. Occasionally they would, but it was seen as like the, like, a, a not a credible, very low credibility. And Jesus hands the keys and the message of His resurrection. No one else knows. He hands the, the leadership and He hands the, um, the joy and the privilege, but also the responsibility of telling everybody else to a woman who had the lowest status in that culture. This woman herself had been uh, demon-possessed and Jesus had freed her. She'd been, she'd been sick and Jesus had healed her. And she was like the lowest of the low in the society. And Jesus reverses the cultural norm and the order. And he gives, like, he gives the most amazing message to the woman to go and tell the men. Do you see the reversal? 
This whole story of John, the women have kind of been in the background. Kind of in the background. The men are leading, the men are leading, the men are leading. And then when the resurrection happens, the reversal happens. The first shall be last and the last shall be first. And women are raised up. Women are central in the movement of God. And in it, the, the subversive seeds of, of equality are sown in. Of, of honor and love and cherishing of of women is put in and they are charged with bringing the gospel to the men isn't that amazing and you know it's one of the reasons we train uh male and female leaders to lead because we don't want to leave 50 percent of god's mission force on the sideline i'm teaching a class we got over 30 people in it, it has men and women in it and uh sometimes people have told me that you know men are designed to lead and women aren't i'm like who raised you you go tell that to your mom and see what she says. So I think you're in for a whooping. <laughs> I'll finish with this. Um, when Jesus hands this great responsibility to Mary, it's also a charge to us. We are like Mary. Jesus is saying, I'm the gardener. You're going to be my co-gardener. You're going to help me plant seeds of life and love and justice. You're going to help me with this. And, and, and we are called to be co-gardeners with God. Just like when my mom and dad used to teach us how to prune and how to plant and how to water. We were co-gardeners with my parents. We get to be co-gardeners with God, recreating um, justice and beauty in this world. In a world that has violence, uh, we bring protection and mercy. In a world that's full of condemnation and separation, we bring unity and love and joy. We bring the best wine to the party of the world. We bring love and joy. We bring a reversal that shows people what the world can be like versus what it is like. And so no matter where you are, whether you're a teacher, you're a mom, a stay-at-home mom, whether you're a mechanic, whether you're wherever you are planted, God has asked you to help his garden grow. Amen? That's what we're called to. So I'm inviting you today to take seriously the reality that we are to plant seeds. Some of you guys will notice this, that moms, we have seeds for you. Let this be a reminder as you walk out of here that we are to plant seeds of life in this broken world. Let's pray. Jesus, we love you. We're grateful for you. Thank you for the mothers. Thank you for the female mom figures in this room. I pray that, that we would just, um, we would take seriously the call to be gardeners with you, co-gardeners of your great garden. Lord, would you, would you use us just even in our own lives to plant seeds of grace and life and love into our, our kids and our families and our friends and the people around us and even, yes, Lord, our enemies, people who would hate us. Lord, they hated you and yet you love them. And Lord, sometimes the darkest, dirtiest, muckiest dirt is the best uh, soil for the seeds of grace and mercy to grow in. And Lord, may that be true today. In Jesus' name, amen.